one uh, overarching thing is that cybersecurity is all about technology, which is not true. You can see that in the way that most companies communicate. This focus on the tech instead of the problem it solves is one of the main issues in the industry. AI enabled whatever, no one cares. People care about what you can do for them, how you help them solve a problem. If you really are too much in love with your product and technology, you are going to miss the point. You're going to be disconnected from people. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Audience First. I have a very special guest with me today, Andra Zaharia. I said your name correctly. Yes. Perfectly. <laughs> Perfectly. Amazing. Please do tell us who you are, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it? <laughs> Danny, thanks so much for having me on, and thank you for doing this podcast in the first place. Um, I bet you get this a lot, and it's so well-deserved because there's tons of value in it. Um, so I've been in cybersecurity since 2015. I have a background in communication, uh, communication and PR, actually. And I had been working in the tech industry with startups and startup communities for startup events. When at some point uh, I got recruited by a cybersecurity startup and it all clicked for me. So every interest that I had in psychology and technology and the intersection between humans and tech, that really, really clicked for me when I started working in cybersecurity and it gave me a huge sense of purpose. So why I'm doing this is, is that I truly believe that, first of all, we need cybersecurity literacy to be able to function in the world uh, because there's tons of, of wisdom and value and tools and knowledge in cybersecurity that you can use to kind of, let's say, evolve your understanding of how things work because it's about systems thinking and critical thinking and other kind of key skills that help us in life. So I found in cybersecurity, a way to kind of mature my own thinking and doing, uh, not just as a marketer, but as a human in general. And I also found tons of other people who opened up my perspective, extended my views and, and show me lots more possibilities and, and a lot more, let's say, connectivity, I guess, between things that I thought was possible. So it just, um, it, it's been a, an incredible experience and I don't see myself, you know, changing industries for the foreseeable future in any way. <laughs> Amazing. I, I can really relate to that. I mean, I've uh, I've been in several different kind of vertical technology markets as a marketer and um, cybersecurity, it just made sense to me. It made mm -hmm. sense to me. I really thrive in in challenging situations. I like to joke that I, I search for problems and um, 
and I feel like this this specific industry, obviously, it's it's ridden with with issues both from the external side and even internally. And if we can do just one more thing to make things a little bit easier, then we've succeeded dramatically. And I know it sounds a little bit utopian and idealistic, but really that's the case. It's taking one thing at a time and and trying to improve things as much as we can together. I feel like in this industry, there's the stigma where, you know, the business side, sit down, the smart people are talking, the tech side, they're they're behind the keyboards and they're um, out there protecting us. But it's a joint effort here and being able to connect with the audience and really start understanding what they're about, what motivates them, what makes them tick. I'm all about that. I know you're all about that. And that's why this is why you're here. Tell me a little bit as a tech marketer yourself, what is one challenge you are facing right now? So it may not be something that's obvious and I totally relate to what you said. I believe that marketing is a bridge that connects, you know, actual, you know, customers to the company in many more ways than one, many ways in which, you know, people don't realize or don't see it first. And my main challenge right now, and something that I've been dealing with in the past years is finding other marketers who are genuinely interested in cybersecurity and uh, who are genuinely interested in and going on a path and pursuing a path to mature their understanding of how marketing actually serves people in cybersecurity. So I've recruited, I've built teams, I've worked with freelancers. I like, I had a bunch of roles, but what I found lacking, even in the best of people with the best intentions was a genuine connection to cybersecurity, a genuine, you have to have an alignment between what you believe is right and what you want to do in life. and the ways in which you can do these things in information security, in whatever role you can imagine. And I feel that that is the main challenge. You cannot, you can mentor people, you can coach them, you can give them all the resources, but if they're not authentically drawn to a specific industry, you cannot (laughs) inspire that in them. It's really impossible to force someone into that direction. So that's been my main challenge. I mean, there are a bunch of great people with good skills, with willing to learn, but I've had situations in which I heard someone and they were really great. They did a good job, but a year later they told me like, hey, I don't really find myself in this industry. I don't think it's a good fit for me. Although the work was good, but again, that connection was lacking. So, and I believe this is because most marketers or, you know, communication specialists in whatever role they have, they don't see this industry as, as a space in which they can thrive. They don't see the possibilities because it seems, and this is one of the issues that the industry has, it seems opaque, it seems abstract, it seems removed from their existence. It doesn't feel relatable or, um, you know, like interesting enough for them perhaps. And that's really too bad. And it's up to us, the marketers who work in this industry, to show people that uh, there's so much great work to be done here and so many interesting challenges to tackle and so many ways to grow. As marketers, we're closest to cybersecurity than any other industry because we have the power to essentially protect against threats protect against the very things that the practitioners are doing on a daily basis. And to your point, being literate, understanding how to be more secure 
is going to help them do their job a little bit better. I want to dig in a little bit deeper on the difference between marketing in cybersecurity or the perception of marketing in cybersecurity versus any other industry like, um, mm. you know, healthcare <laughs> or, or cloud technology, even which could bridge into cybersecurity. One of the key aspects, I think, is how, let's say, the, the density of uh, technical knowledge and how, you know, how it gives people, marketers, regular users, and even business leaders, I feel like this is a common pain point. It gives all of these people the impression that it's out of their control, that they're, it's overwhelming, that it's not something they're capable of grasping or handling. So as humans, when we find something that feels really difficult and really foreign to us, we usually push it away, ignore it. And it's like, yeah, that's not for me and I'm going to step away. So I think that that's one of the main things that keeps, you know, that kind of keeps rolling. Uh, it just keeps perpetuating as uh, a perception. And obviously it's not true. So um, there are tons of other, let's say, niches and technology that are very technically dense. I will name AI as one of them. And there are tons of uh, distortions there as well. And I think that there are some parallels between cybersecurity and, and, um, and AI. AI. But also, I think that it, it's because many of us, almost all of us, have developed um, our relationship with technology in general very much in a self-taught manner. We didn't necessarily have formal education. I mean, as the people who don't have a technical background. So it feels like, hey, how am I going to grasp this? And also, perhaps you might see, you know, like we we're talking and we also see it day by day you might see people from uh in technical roles call out bad marketing and call out salespeople and call out you know all the bullshit in the industry which is very real um and people might feel like okay so i don't get the tech i don't know how i'd be able to translate my skills into this industry and also people seem to really hate marketers in this industry. So how am I going to deal with all that? If you don't really love the mission itself, you're not going to be able to like muster up the resources to make the effort of overcoming all of those limiting beliefs and, and challenges. You need to have tough skin in this industry. You need to be able to, to take a little bit of heat from the audience. You need to have you need to have that thick skin, and we actually on on the podcast on audience first we have uh, Nadia El Fartasi on who's talking about emotional firewalls to build resilience in security. I, I recommend Andra also you take a look at some of her work that could really resonate with what you're doing as well. Yeah, you need to have you need to build up the the resilience. You need to build up those emotional firewalls. To her point, and you uncovered a few stereotypes in the industry. What are some stereotypes you are challenging? Why do you think it's important to challenge them as a marketer? There's uh, the list of long and <laughs> full of horrors, uh, to paraphrase. Um, I do believe that there are so many things that kind of just roll down from, you know, years back and they're still kind of taken as granted as like, this is reality and this is what we do. And there are a couple of these that I've consistently found, and you know, to your point about trying to, you know, having tough skin and needing to overcome all of these things. I believe that if you 
position yourself as a contributor. And if you show people that you really care and demonstrate that, they'll be a lot more open to talking to you, to explaining things, to, uh, you know, not being dismissive, to give you space to explore them, and which is exactly what you're doing. And this, uh, these are all ways in which you can understand the industry and understand why people have this resistance to certain things. So when you say things like, you know, when you use, for example, empty language, and this is a place where stereotypes thrive in this industry, when you talk about, you know, unhackable things and military-grade encryption, and you make all sorts of claims that are obviously superficial, wrong, don't speak to pain points, um, and show that the company does not know, you know, what it's doing and not what it's doing, who it's doing the things that it's doing for, they don't have clarity over that. You're going to throw a lot of empty words out there, which mean nothing to no one. And they're just, you know, they, because they sound cool. What is that? No, they don't. They're just meaningless and, and used, you know, useless. And besides empty language, there are a couple of other stereotypes. Um, I think that one uh, overarching thing is that cybersecurity is all about technology, which is not true. And you can see that in the way that most companies communicate. Um, and this focus on the tech instead of the problem it solves is one of the main issues in the industry. AI enabled whatever, no one cares. No one cares about how you're doing good. Well, they're gonna get to that point, but they care. People care about what you can do for them, how you sell, help them solve a problem. But you, if you fall in love, and this happens to startup a lot, if you really are too much in love with your product and technology, you are going to miss the point. You're going to be disconnected from people. Um, another stereotype that I see is that there's no place for emotional connection in cybersecurity, that uh, you, we keep our emotions out of this because as humans, we make rational decisions, which neuroscience has taught us that is completely untrue. Uh, we, <laughs> with our emotions play a huge role in, in our decision-making capability, and we would not be able to make choices without our emotional reasoning. And that people, um, you know, sometimes we even assume perhaps as marketers or companies that people actually care about cybersecurity. Uh, they don't. <laughs> they generally, most people do not care. Uh, it's not their job. It's not their main thing. They're not cybersecurity specialists. If you we're talking about a, B2, uh, a B2C kind of general audience, and you cannot assume instantly that people actually care about what you're doing, especially when you don't explain, you know, how you're helping them solve their problems, real problems, not assumed problems. Um, and also, I think that one of the stereotypes in that actually causes that limiting beliefs is that, you know, technical specialists are the only bearers of truth. Um, like you mentioned, security is, first of all, those who know it's a process. And that process, the idea of process means that it's never ending, that it includes feedback and contribution from all sides. And what I love about the best people in this industry is that they're um, multidisciplinary and that they draw from many areas. They know that compliance has its purpose and that, you know, people drafting up all sorts of legal documents have their purpose and that to be able to truly develop a product, a company, a service, you need input from all of these different aspects because cybersecurity is so deeply connected into everything. 
even especially we see nowadays geopolitics, it spreads everywhere. It is a societal issue. It's not just a technological issue. And missing the point on that really creates a lot of problems and it creates this huge disconnect. And if you don't challenge them as a marketer, you're going to find that you're constantly pushing up a boulder down up a hill and that it keeps coming back to squish you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to throw money uh, on things that don't work and you're going to face like really intense competition because there is, you know, we all know the cybersecurity industry is expanding like incredibly fast because there's a need for it as well, but not only because of that. And you're going to find that you get frustrated because you're not making enough progress and that you don't feel that sense of reward that we all need from your work. And you're basically going to get frustrated and burned out and you're going to say like, yeah, this is not for me. And this all comes from you not standing up for the things you believe in and not finding a way to communicate with decision makers in your company or, you know, your clients communicate to them like, hey, I'm doing this because I care about these people because I want to do the right thing. And that also means, you know, trying to work with people that care about the same things because there are tons of founders and CEOs out there who actually have strong principles and they act on them. And I feel like that's something that many people perhaps don't know. Uh, And I think that they're worth talking about. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think I just add to that, if anything, um, a stereotype that, I, I mean, all of those, all of those you listed were fabulous. I've experienced them. I've believed them at one point or another and slashed them out real fast. Um, and if anything, I think another one is that, we spoke about this earlier, that the security community is not accessible and they won't listen to me because I'm I'm not as technical as they are. So far from the truth, they are here to help us be better because they understand that as marketers and as salespeople, vendors are here to help them. If you first and foremost are genuinely curious to learn about them and approach with an authentic angle, then they'll be your advocates. They will be there uh, to help you and in in most cases, will not ask for for anything in return. I, I think that's a huge a huge relief for me as a marketer who wants to understand what makes them tick, what motivates them, and it it makes my job much easier. So that I feel empowered, so that I'm more successful in what I'm doing. And my hope here is that you uh, running Cyber Empathy and and myself with Audience First, we can help more marketers feel comfortable and empowered to approach them authentically, understand them a little bit more than yesterday. Let's dive into into some questions. You ask a lot of questions, at least a (laughs) hundred. I love them Uh, too. Let's dig in. So in your experience um, when working with the cybersecurity community, what are some of the most important questions you ask that have helped you do your job better as a content marketer? These are some of the most basic questions, but it's something that works so well. So if, you know, many of us, many marketers uh, follow and learn from Seth Godin simply because his body of work is extremely powerful and he just brings this incredible knowledge. I mean, through his books, his podcast, his, you know, DLT MBA, which I did a couple of years back and was completely transformational. And what I took from that 
are like three questions that lead me to, you know, get clarity and get alignment and really understand what, where, where we're going. So my first question is, who is it for? Like, who are we doing this for? Who is our target audience? But really, like, I mean, personally get to know them, follow them, see what they need, see what they think, see what they're talking about, see what their issues are, find patterns in all of those things. Not just, you know, do customer personas, but actually talk to these people over and over and over again and see how their perceptions change in time and, you know, industry matures and certain niches mature and, you know, things kind of settle down, I guess, or, uh, you know, kind of get in a more clear shape. So who is it for is one of my main questions. And that, and the answer to all of these questions should reflect in your value proposition. It should reflect in the type of content that you do. So if you don't know who it's for, and if you say everyone, that's, that's one of the worst things ever. You cannot be for everyone. You can be for a specific group of people. And this is what I always kind of try to advise startups when I talk to them or like through mentoring sessions, start with a small group. You need to know, you know, who, who cares the most about what you do? Who has, uh, as Louis Grenier says, who has a bleeding neck problem? Like who is suffering so badly from what you're solving that they completely and instantly understand what you're trying to sell them and what, how you're trying to help them. So who is it for? And you can dig deeper into that and, you know, ask it like 10 times until you feel you have a real answer. Um, the second question is, what is it for? Like how, you know, what, what is our product for? How does it truly help people? Um, and again, not focusing on the tag, but focusing on the use case, focusing on the user's context. Like how do they use this? When do they use this? What are they comparing it to? Um, and that's always, that always brings like, answers and, and the alternatives that are not entirely, you know, predictable and it's not what you think they are. Sometimes your competitors are not who you think they are. Um, so what is it for should be very present. Like we're doing this for these people and then why are we doing this? <laughs> and we're doing this for these people because we care deeply about a thing. What's the thing that you care about? Um, for example, one of my favorite customers, and we worked on this together, um, advocates for highlighting human value, not replacing it with automation, because there are areas in cybersecurity that are so complex that they can never be fully automated simply because human insight is specifically unique, uh, to that particular situation. So, and Obviously, cybersecurity specialists empathize with that a lot. And they're like, yes, yes, full automation in this case is not possible. And thank you for saying that uh, because, it no, it resonates with them. It is for them. It's for these people who believe that automation is not the key for their particular job. It's useful, but not entirely. So who is it for? What is it for? Why are we doing this? And then another question that ties into having customer development interviews or, you know, like just conversations with people is, is what we believe actually true? Are our marketing hypotheses true? Uh, are our product assumptions true? Do people really want this feature? Do people really want emails? Do people really want whatever thing is that we're providing them? Because they're, 
We all lie to each to to ourselves a lot as humans. Obviously, we're all like plagued with biases and and whatnot. But we lie to ourselves a lot in companies as a whole. Lie to themselves about doing the right thing and following the right strategy and so on and so forth. So we really have to question ourselves at all times and see like, is this still true? Why is this true? Why is it not true? And then you get all this clarity and, and which creates alignment in the team. And suddenly things start working a lot better and you have a lot more focus and you're making a lot more progress. So yeah, those are my go-to questions. <laughs> so simple yet so difficult sometimes to answer. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> yes, yes. They're not, they only sound simple. Like any, like, I feel like meaningful questions have th this thing about them. And I learned that from therapy and coaching. Like, they sound simple on the surface, but they, like, they push you to do a lot of work. <laughs> How long has it taken you specifically to answer those questions? I mean, if you really dive in deep on those and reflect, what does that look like? For me, for me particularly, it's it's been, I think that the past few years have been a lot more, um, let's say, I've, I've made more faster progress um, in the sense that, and I know this is perhaps, again, not something that most people realize, but the more you work on yourself, the better a communication specialist or a marketer you become because when you get to understand how your own biases affect you in your personal relationships at work and things like that then you can see how that affects other people and you you basically learn some coaching and methods that you can apply to others so for me these questions i've i've learned to ask and answer these questions with a lot more clarity over the past few years so it's taken like 10 plus over a decade to reach this, let's say, level of maturity. But with customers, it really, really depends on who the founder is and what kind of leadership the company has. Uh, for example, one of my clients that I've been working with for two plus years, we've been able to get, like, do all of this discovery and clarification work in a year. And then after a year, we had like tons of clarity. We went into nuance and there's full alignment throughout the team because they were really committed. So it does take time. It's not going to be a, like a overnight thing, not even like a couple of workshops in three weeks or something thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a process again. <laughs> I, I think also you need to have a level of comfort of understanding that it's going to take time. It's not an overnight thing. And we're kind of programmed as marketers to get results overnight because there's this immense pressure to either double mm. revenue or get more leads, right? Which, you know, I have lots of debates on um, internally and you just need to be comfortable with the process. Just in the last couple of years, I've been really digging in deep, asking these questions in the company, which has raised some eyebrows and, I, and that's what you want to do. You want to raise some mm. eyebrows. You want to make sure that people understand that you need to be you need to be looking into these kinds of uh, insights in order to do things a little bit better versus just being comfortable with things that aren't necessarily working and, and kind of having this always on approach where you're potentially going to see incremental growth, but not that exponential growth, which is expected these days. I think that something most people forget is that, and I, again, I learned this in coaching in therapy, progress is not linear. 
-hmm. It's not linear in personal growth. It's not linear in growing a company. It's not linear in anything. So it is worth doing the work, uh, this clarification work, this maturing work, because once you have a strong, solid foundation, then you can go you can have that exponential growth that people want, but again, it takes a business leader or a founder or, you know, whoever kind of sets the tone for the entire company to truly understand that. And emotional maturity plays a huge role in this. Not many people have it because it's a hard thing to do. Not many people are willing to put in the work. It's just what it is and we should acknowledge that. So. I guess as a marketer, you also have to realize that you can choose what kind of company to work in if Absolutely. obviously your situation allows it. For me specifically, I'm done compromising on companies. If they don't align with the vision that I have and the approach that I want to take, then it's, it's a no-go. And, and my recommendation is um, make sure you're choosing uh, a company based on your beliefs and values as well. I think that's critical if you're going to succeed and if the company is going to succeed. Okay, in your opinion, why are vendors, not what, but why are vendors missing the mark in terms of, of content marketing to the security practitioner? I think it's a couple of things. But one of the key things that I've seen consistently is that they're more focused on the competition than what they want to achieve as a company. And when you're driven about like, hey, who are our SEO competitors and look at who's doing what, you're not going to be able to follow your own path and carve out that path and realize like, hey, what are we trying to do with all this content that we're putting out? Is it just to get, and it's not to say that SEO doesn't have its place. I, it's built into my work. You, you can build all of the optimization things and still deliver valuable content. So one of the reasons is this, again, this exacerbated focus on the competition. The other thing is, again, not talking to customers. Uh, and that leads to, you know, putting out content that's not nuanced enough, uh, that's, that sounds generic, that sounds, it seems disconnected. Uh, or having like two types of content, highly technical and thought leadership and nothing in between, which again is, it's great because you, you probably serve, you know, two types of audiences, but you need to know who your primary audience is. Uh, and again, not knowing who it's for will lead you to create just, you know, random pieces of content because we thought and we saw that. Uh, you know, other people are talking about this, but yeah, does your customer care about that? Or was it just something that they cared about like three years ago and now they're at a different stage? Um, so not having those customer conversations and not giving content people the business context, the product context, access to all of these things, not having everything documented. And you cannot expect, because I actually saw this conversation on Twitter the other day, you cannot expect to bring people, you know, content people on. It's like, yep, here are a bunch of keywords now, go wild. <laughs> I mean, some of them, those who are really good and care about the industry, they'll go out to their own research, have their own experiences. But that doesn't apply to most people. So you need to give them like, this is the direction we're heading in and map you know, your content to the product roadmap and choose what kind of company you are. Are you sales driven? Are you product driven? Are you marketing driven? All of these kind of different personalities will shape the type of content that you put out. 
And also another thing um, that I feel causes people to miss the mark is not leveraging internal expertise, not getting the people who care most about the problems that they work every day on solving it, not giving them a voice, not involving them in the content process, have them, you know, include nuance and opinions and background and all of these things. And again, keeping, you know, content people siloed in a place in your company or, you know, in a growth strategy or whatever it is you call it, it's, is not going to help you make a meaningful difference. Um, and not having a documented process for all of that, that ties, you know, principles to the reason of their existence, to product, to everything else, um, that's going to lead to a lot of frustration. Uh, and a lot of disconnection, and I see this all the time, unfortunately. Um, thankfully, not with my clients, because they're, uh, they're really committed and they understand how the content process helps the entire company gain kind of self-awareness um, of its strengths, uh, its opinions, its perspectives, its direction, and uh, the people that it serves. So, um, yep, there are tons of ways to, to improve on that. All of that is great. We're fortunate at Cyber Six Skill right now to, to be able to leverage most of our SMEs. So the content is driven by them. Even further, we're leveraging the audience to build content, which is, I mean, you, to your point, you, you spoke about talking to customers, but we're leveraging the audience and the community to build the content because that's what they want to talk about. It's, it's as simple as that. And again, once you build those valuable and authentic relationships with your audience, like I said, the world is your oyster. You're, you're able to do some pretty incredible things that, that move the needle both for the business and both for them. So it's a bi-directional relationship there. And, you know, we've, we've built the podcast with the audience. It's not, you know, cyber six skill for, with Dr. Dark Web. It's not cyber six skill saying, this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to define. It's coming in from feedback that the community is telling us and we're validating it with Chris. And it's just, it's been quite a pleasure. You talked about documenting processes and, and the content process. Is there a content framework that's repeatable and useful that you could share with us or, or a process that could be taken away from this session today that other marketers could use as a baseline for building good content? Yes, absolutely. I actually have the the main framework that I use and that I found really valuable and that it's taking me a few years to wrap my mind around to really practice it is the jobs to be done framework. It applies to product development and, um, you know, customer development and uh, content development. It applies to everything because the jobs to be done framework gives you a way to understand the customer's context and real needs and real triggers and use those in throughout the company. Use those in your business strategy and in your product strategy and in your content strategy and everything else. So it may feel a bit abstract at first. It may feel like, yeah, but how do I apply this? But once you start working with it, it makes a huge, huge difference. So um, that framework is really, really helpful because it helps you identify all of these, uh, again, triggers, expectations, needs, and it teaches you to kind of be a partner for your customers in their journey towards, um, towards development, towards, you know, whatever it is that they want to do 
in their lives and you're part of that journey. And that really, really helps a lot. And it expands your view. It gives you, let's say a, a stronger, more kind of, uh, more accurate understanding of what their reality looks like and how you play into that reality. And also, um, one of the other things that I really focus on and is very valuable and is actually, you know, the, the topic of your podcast is talking to customers and having a customer development framework. And if you want to build that, one of the books that I keep recommended for years is the mom test by Rob Fitzpatrick, which is hugely helpful. It teaches you how to talk to customers in a way that doesn't lead to what you expect to hear from them. Um, so becoming a better listener, key in all of this, so you don't lead conversation and actually hear what the other person has to say and know what you're looking to learn from customers. Um, are These are two fundamental things. And the Jobs to be Done framework gives you a way to map all of that knowledge that you extract and actually, you know, push it into action. And the mom test gives you better questions to work with and a different way of um, engaging in conversations and, and having them. Can you give us an example of jobs to be done? Um, so one of the key things, for example, when you look at a person who buys, for example, like a really expensive bike, uh, they're not buying the bike because the bike is faster because it has, you know, I don't know what not features and special tires and whatever it is. They're buying the bike because they want to experience that feeling of freedom that you get when you're riding down the hill and you're in nature and you're completely disconnected from your problems and you're just doing something that you enjoy. So the bike is a way to achieve that. So the product is not the end goal. The end goal is the experience. And if you don't know what that experience, what experience people want to have, uh, you're not going to be able to tie their real need, which is getting out of the house and, and, and you know, investing in their hobby and uh, just ed enter almost that flow state that you get when you do something that you love. You're not going to be able to speak to that need, which is much further down the line from your product. So that's, that's one of the key things. And if you talk about, you know, all the screws and all the components and things like that, you're going to miss out on talking to people about what they really care about, which is going out and enjoying and knowing that the product will support them in whatever they want to do in that particular experience. Where can people find more information about jo the Jobs to be Done framework? Thankfully, there's a website dedicated to that. So if you Google Jobs to be Done, you're going to go to the website and there are videos and books and examples and tons of detailed explanations there that will guide you. And the best way to really start, you know, making use of it is to start working with it. Start working with it because it's the only way that you'll understand it. And it's the only way that'll become useful to you. It just gets better with practice and it gets, you know, easier to get people on board because you don't have to talk to them about the framework. You can talk to other people about how you connect the dots. It gives you a way to connect the dots. Um, that makes a lot of sense, gives you clarity, gives you focus and gives you a way to explain to other people, you know, whether they're uh, like the product team or whoever in your company, how these things work together and how they're helpful for the business. 
and how they're obviously how they're helpful to customers because they're the ones who give us jobs, who give yeah, us exactly. companies. <laughs> exactly. That's that's great. So I know we're kind of wrapping up here. We're getting towards the end of the hour. Before we, we sign off, what's one practical takeaway you can provide those listening in for getting closer to the audience? Like what works for you? What works for me is finding people that I resonate with. So I spent a lot of time over the past decade um, curating who I follow, like curating who I follow on Twitter, because that's my main go-to in the cybersecurity industry is very active there. Uh, the same for LinkedIn, which is matter social network that I really use and really, you know, following not just what people post, but the conversations they engage with in, uh, because conversations have a different level of nuance. They bring out different things in people. That's why I love podcasts. I love doing them. I love listening to them because in conversation, and I feel this, you know, like on a very kind of firsthand basis, when I talk to other people, that's when um, just things click in my mind and you get to explore things in a different way than when you're sitting alone, putting stuff out there. Uh, so follow conversations from people who are representative of that industry, of your audience, of whatever it is. Dig really deep, keep them, document them, share them with other people. I constantly like send my customers uh, threads and, and conversations on Twitter like, here's what this person thinks about vendors. Here's what this person thinks about automation. And it helps them that constant, let's say, um, process of thinking about these things and, and seeing what other people think about them who are, again, in the target audience. It, it keeps these things at the top of their mind and it shows them, it confirms that we're either going the right way or that we need to adjust. So conversations, extremely helpful, provided that you follow uh, people who are transparent and, and open and generous and empathetic. And there are like you mentioned at the beginning, there are plenty of those. <laughs> plenty. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if you need a list, like I have an InfoSec list on Twitter that you can follow right away. I've gathered a lot of people there, so you don't have to start from scratch. You can just start from somewhere and like then go explore from there. <laughs> oh, that's a nice segue. So where can people find you? Twitter, Twitter LinkedIn. Uh, just Google me. You should find me i i hope i know i don't have that much competition in terms of names but if you google me you'll find me or you'll find me on twitter and linkedin and i'd be happy to chat reply to any answers provide additional resources whatever is helpful amazing andra this has been such a pleasure i really appreciate the time you took to to speak with us today uh until next time i mean you're welcome back anytime you'd like <laughs> This has been quite insightful, and I hope that it has been for the audience as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you for all the insightful questions and for the work that you're doing and for how you're standing up for what is truly valuable and, and right for people and healthy for uh, marketers and the industry at large. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.